Hello, and welcome to Human Is My Label. This is your host, Emily Purry. I am a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sibling, and a former athlete. I work full time. I am the founder of Rapid, a nonprofit organization, and I'm legally blind. I am so excited about opening the conversation about everything equity. We will primarily be talking about disability, as that is my lived experience, and it is often the minority left out of the equity conversation. I am passionate about equity for all identities, as I have family members from the communities of color, LGBTQIA, disabilities, and we span all ages. It is my goal to normalize these conversations, get people comfortable with the uncomfortable, and include everyone. After all, we are all human. Hello everyone, this is your host Emily Purry, and I am so excited to be here today and I'm here for an awesome conversation that is long overdue. I am here today, and it is sparked by my good friend, Barb, who went to guide dog school with me to get our guide dogs, and she was telling some stories last night, and it (laughs) reminded me that I had this topic on my list of conversations for a very long time, so it is time, and here we are. I'm a little bit silly tonight, so just be ready for it, just because this topic gets me fired up, and I love talking about it. This is one of the things I talk to companies and organizations about nationwide because it's one of those things that happens all the time. So let's go ahead and get to it. I'll be telling some stories (laughs) along with it and it also reminded me of a blog I once wrote about being a massage therapist (laughs) and I was a massage therapist back you know in the early 2000s and you know people get so uncomfortable and awkward when Uh, getting a massage and so I put out this blog and it was mostly for my entertainment and my sister's entertainment but it was highly inappropriate and had lots of cuss words even more than I even speak which is you know a lot and um, but it was just this bullet list of do's and don'ts while in a massage you know do you call him a massage therapist Do you call him a masseuse it's definitely a massage therapist so there you go there's your there's your tip for today But um, that's the format I really wanted to go in to this podcast with, is I have a list of things that people do and how people treat people with disabilities, interact with people with disabilities, um, teach, coach, train, talk to, interact, all those things with people with disabilities. And so we're just going to go down the list. So let's let's get to it. So the first thing is um, don't stereotype, Um, either as a class of people, you know, people with disabilities. It's a big, big, big group, and it's a very, very, very big spectrum of people. So just because I have a vision disability does not mean I know everything about autism, about cerebral palsy, about, you know, deafness. I I don't. I know a lot about disabilities, but you can't stereotype any of them as a big class, number one, but also as each individual types of disabilities. As I mentioned, the group I have a group of ladies who are on um, WhatsApp that went to guide dog school with me, and we are all technically, legally blind. So we are all blind of some kind, but not a single one of us sees the same as the other. Um, there's five of us on there, and you know, one minute I'm like, oh, I, I can see that, 
and, and so-and-so can't. But then the next minute, I'm like, how the heck does she see that? But I can't. And then, you know, somebody else will pipe up and be like, oh, I can't see that, but how do you? And we're all different degrees of blind. So even within our small little categories, you cannot say, oh, I know Emily the blind lady, therefore I know everything about blindness and anybody I interact with is going to be the same. Absolutely not. Get that out of your head because it is, it, it, it will get you. And that's when microaggressions happen is when we think we know more than we do or when we get really, really uncomfortable and that's when those mistakes come out. So let's, let's take a step back. Microaggressions are um, unintentional, either acts or statements, situations, um, anything that's unintentional and indirect. So see, these, these are the things people say to us, do to us, because they have either a lack of knowledge, a lack of experience, a lack of awareness, um, all those things. Um, and so they, or they're uncomfortable, that's probably the number one reason I experience microaggressions is people are uncomfortable about my world and so they're trying to interact with it and it's usually easier to be funny than it is to act ask for respectful questions and so that's when a lot of the microaggressions occur for me. So we want to make sure and limit those because those can make or break relationships, they can make or break jobs, they can make or break a lot of things and so that's that's why we're here today. So don't stereotype, whether it's disabilities as a whole or whether it's, uh, it's specific disabilities. There's n very little way anyone could tell how they're exactly the same, but most likely they're not the same. So get to know the individual and their disability, not this category of disability that you read on the internet. So that's number one. Number two, the respectful questions. I just brought that up a moment ago. And... There, it is okay to ask questions about disability. That's one of the big pieces. We are allowed to ask. We are allowed to um, ask an individual with a disability um, respectful questions if it's necessary for the activity, the relationship in which you're engaging in. So curiosity in itself is not a reason to ask. I don't ask why your left foot goes to the right. I don't ask why you wear those t-shirts. I don't ask those questions that are quote-unquote inappropriate just because I want to. I, if it is going to, I don't even know. If it's going to affect the situation we're in, then I might ask and you're able to um, answer or not. So the respectful questions part is, finding a way to ask the questions that you need to know the information for without being offensive. My example of this is um, all throughout my childhood and unfortunately in my adulthood a lot of people will walk up to me or be interacting with me whatever and say how many fingers am I holding up? They're curious and they might need to know maybe how far I can see because I still have sight and so that's the uncomfortableness coming out. They're uncomfortable around my situation. The respectful side of that would be, hey, Emily, we're going to be working together for the next some odd years, months, whatever. It would really be, it would be helpful for me to know, you know, how far can you see and, and to what detail so that I can be better around you. I can be a better human around you. Totally appropriate. Respectful. Now... 
if you ask that question respectfully and the person says, you know what, I don't want to answer that right now, you can't take offense to that. That is not the point of asking respectful questions is so you get your way and you get your answer. But you don't know what that person has experienced the rest of the day. They may have been asked about their guide dog 500 times. They may have been asked, you know, asked, how do you do this? How do you function in this world? How do you do that? 500 times that day. And you know what? Sometimes you don't want to talk about it anymore. This is my life. I'm used to this life. I'm used to how I function in this life. You're the one who's uncomfortable or don't know about my life. But it's not necessary in that moment. And if it is, I'll let you know. So... Always be prepared for an answer like, you know, I don't want to talk about it right now. And also be prepared for an answer of like, why does everybody ask me that? You know, more of a snotty or a snarky or a snapping answer. Because again, somebody may have asked to pet my guide dog 500 times that day and I'm just trying to get on the bus and get home. And so that was the last straw and it's not your fault but it's the life I live, and sometimes we snap as humans, period. Every human in this world snaps and is a jerk to people at times. And people with disabilities are no different. We didn't get the exemption for being super nice all the time. And so you have to consider that. I'm not the blind person that's angry. I'm the person who's angry because people get angry. And so you have to consider that and be okay with it and be like, oh, man, you know, ugh. I I wish that didn't happen, and I hope their day gets better, and move on. It has nothing to do with you, most likely. So ask ask the respectful questions. If you get a a good answer, awesome. Your questions have been answered. Um, Don't ask because of curiosity. Only ask if you have a reason to ask. Now, to go along with that, and this is the, the story that came up last night with my friend, You know, she had an instructor that was leading her in an activity, and it was in an area, and they were trying to navigate some objects. And so the instructor was guiding and said, hey, you know, let me know when you see this particular object, and and so I know how far you can see. That's a totally appropriate question for the activity that she was doing, and so the guide knew what to do. That's a perfectly respectful question. And so the guide is saying, hey, uh, can you see it yet? And she's like, no. Can you see it? No. Can you see it yet? No. And then finally my friend is like, yeah, I can see it. And the response of the guide was, wow, you really can't see shit, can you? Now, everything up to that point was perfectly appropriate. (laughs) Her response was not appropriate. Because when you're looking at hearing that response as a person who's already, you know, not insecure, but aware of their, um, you know, inability to see something or do something, we, we don't need to be told that, you know, we can't see shit. We know we can't see shit. We, we live this life. And so when she responded that way, it makes you feel that much less capable for whatever task you're doing. And that's not okay. The response should have been, hey, thank you for the heads up. I really appreciate that information. And next time I'll be able to, you know, set up the area in a more accessible way for you. That was super helpful. Thank you. Moving on. Nobody feels like crap. Nobody has been offended. And the instructor has 
the information they need and the writer has been able to disclose comfortably to that instructor. And that's huge. That's huge. And it builds so much trust within the community. So that's that piece. Ask respectful questions, be prepared for a no, and figure out how you're going to respond when the answer might be shocking. <laughs> Hello everyone. I am so excited to introduce to all of you Tim Salen, the sponsor of our podcast today. And Tim is with Remax Equity Group and man, he's different than all the thousands of agents you probably already know. When you're looking to buy or sell a home and you want somebody who cares, you want somebody who is patient, you want somebody who gives great advice, and you want somebody who is going to get you what you need, you need a call tip. Hello everyone, this is Emily, and I wanted to take a moment to talk about insurance. How many of you out there do not like dealing with insurance? I was one of those. And when I met Shelly Montevice from Country Financial, that all changed. I didn't understand insurance, I didn't understand what I needed, what I wanted, and why it was so expensive. Well, Shelly took the time. I am working with her on my business insurance for both Rapid and Prairie Consultants, and she helps me make sense of it. She helps me understand what I'm getting, why I'm getting it, and how to make it more affordable. So, if you have always thought that insurance is a racket, you need to reach out to Shelly Montevice at Country Financial, and you can find her contact information in the show notes below. Okay, next, don't treat me like I'm stupid. Now, I don't know if others have heard this, but you know, when they're often, especially with blind people, people think they have to talk louder. Well, my ears aren't different. My eyes are different. But often, people always, often people also assume I'm not as intelligent, or any of us are not as intelligent. And it is the most frustrating thing in the world. Um, this also came up um, in our conversation last night with my friends. Without being able to go into a lot of the details, my friend was, um, you know, instructing a animal, and instead this animal was acting up a little bit, and so the instructor said, "Hey, today, you know, I don't want you to talk to the animal, and I don't want you to tell them what to do, and I don't want you to, you know, uh, motion to the animal or use your body language or your your hands for for the animal, because the animal is just going to do." Um, what it wants because it's going to read your mind. And so my friend, who's kind of a smartass, says, oh, like telepathy. And the instructor said, yes, like telepathy. And so my friend, who has a billion degrees, was a, an amazing professional coder and had jobs all her life and was successful and is amazing, was like, are you freaking kidding me right now? you don't need to treat me like I'm stupid if this animal is having a hard day. Be honest with me. Be real with me because, <laughs> and how I said it is, I'm blind. I'm not dumb. Like, don't do this to me. And it's offensive and it's it's not appropriate. 
And so this happens a lot with many of us, regardless. Um, like we can't understand what's happening. We can't, uh, you know, comprehend when really I can't see the paper or whatever you're trying to show me without using verbal words. And so don't ever assume or treat people like they're stupid. And I think it comes from, you know, um, the pity mindset of people with disabilities. So people with disabilities in, in history and, and even now have been seen as being less than and that you need to pity us because of our disability. And that is so far from the truth. But you get into that little kid mode, I like to say. You're like, oh my gosh, well, you know, you get your teacher voice on when you're talking to people with disabilities. And it's so not necessary. I am a human. I am an adult. I am, I have a brain. I have, you know, different ways of communicating. I have different ways of receiving information. But I am just as much intelligent as you are as far as you know having a conversation I'm not even bringing an IQ but just having a conversation don't treat me like I'm I'm too dumb to comprehend what's going on so that get rid of the baby talk I'm not I'm not a child I'm not a baby I don't need the the pity talk as I like to call it or that that Oh, cutesy, cutesy, cutesy verbiage. So we're not children. We we have a disability and we communicate differently. So that leads me into giving people the opportunity. So I've talked mostly about blindness here, um, you know, but there's all kinds of disabilities out there. And we were also talking about the experiences of us working with people with developmental disabilities or who are, are on the... Um, autism spectrum and how so many people don't even give them the opportunity to engage and it's because they don't speak the same they don't process information the same they don't communicate as dominant culture does but they do communicate and they do want to interact and we do want to be included and it's not always up to us to be the ones to demand accommodations or demand to fit into dominant culture. And I think this is becoming more of a conversation in the diversity, equity, inclusion world is, you know, just for a simple example, what is professional dress to go to a job? And if professional dress in Africa looks different than professional dress in America, is that bad? Is that wrong? And the answer is no. But we have these standards that people are supposed to quote unquote live up to. And, you know, even dominant culture has a hard time living up to them. But we're expected to fit our God-given brains and bodies into a box in which society has built for us, not anybody else. My disability makes me different just as your hair color, your eye color, your your height, your weight, your whatever it is makes you different from everyone else. If we were all supposed to be exactly the same, we would all be exactly the same, but that was not why or how we were made. So when you look at the the 
power in diversity. When you look at the the amazing thing that things that diversity brings to our organizations or to our programs or to our our environments, you also have to see that the reason it makes our environments so dynamic and so interesting and so fun is because we're allowed to bring ourselves. But if you shut down that ability to bring ourselves to wherever that wherever we are, whatever environment we're in, you're no longer looking for diversity. You're looking for a person who fits dominant culture, dominant, you know, societal rules. And this comes with communication. So I'm way off track right now, but giving people the opportunity. And my friend was talking about when she worked in uh, an abilities program where she taught pottery. And there was a kid who, you know, to most people would not um, uh, appear to be listening. He, he talked and talked and talked and talked very rapidly, very quickly. And she would ask him a question and, you know, somebody who was not patient and understanding would just say, oh, he's not listening. I'm giving up and moving on. But no, throughout his, um, his quick speech, which none of, not, not a lot of it made sense if you will. It was like the clouds are white, the sky is blue, the bed is green, the, you know, very, he would answer the question within all of that um, uh, language inside there. And so he was processing, most likely, um, my guess, and this is a, an assumption that I'm going to make, is on the autism spectrum, and he was taking in so much information like all of us do, and when you're on the autism spectrum, it's very hard to kind of calm the brain and so he's thinking about everything he's seen that day everything everywhere he's been yesterday or the day before and it's going through the brain going through the brain and so to filter that out he was not able to do it just all came out his mouth but if you listened and you were patient and you gave him the opportunity he would give you the answer you want you just have to pause and so that's one aspect of giving them the opportunity us the opportunity to engage. So it may not fit your norms. It may not be the perfect way you want it, but you can get some amazing things out of people if you pause and listen. Then there's the piece of just giving people the opportunity to engage. And a lot of people will do this with me. There's, oh, well, you probably can't see this, but we're all going to the baseball game. Would you want to go? First of all, don't tell me what I can and can't see. Second of all, let me make that decision. Third of all, if everybody's hanging out, how many people are actually watching the baseball game? Probably not very many. We're probably hanging out, eating food, drinking beer, wine, whatever, and having a good time. And it's not really about the baseball game, so who cares about that? So, yes, I want to be included, but giving people the opportunity and not just shutting it down for them. So asking the questions, being patient, allowing people with disabilities to make the choices for themselves and give them the autonomy and time and the space. And you have the patience to just sit there, be uncomfortable with yourself because guess what? That person is not uncomfortable because they live in their skin all the time. They know how long it takes to process information. They know how hard it is to make a decision. They know that, you know, people don't listen to them. This is your uncomfortableness, so you got to get used to it. And in this process, start paying attention. 
that person is giving you the answers or telling you what they want and take their lead because you will find yourself learning and growing and understanding so much more when you follow their lead and allow them the opportunity to engage, allow them the opportunity to make decisions. I mean, I can't tell you how many times in my life people have just made decisions before me because they thought I couldn't or they, you know, didn't, whatever. And again, I'm no less capable than all of you. That leads me to always presume competence. And it's kind of the same as allowing the opportunity, but always presume competence. You don't know what anyone can do. And this kind of speaks to the very first one is the stereotyping. You don't know what I can do. You don't know that I can kick a soccer ball or that I used to throw a javelin. You have no idea what I can do as a legally blind woman. So presume that I can, unless it's like driving a car or <laughs> something like that. But in this example of if you're teaching a class, if you're, if you're engaging with somebody at work, presume they can and or start asking the respectful questions so that you know more about this human being. If you're able to do those two things, presume confidence and allow somebody the opportunity to say, hey, uh, so-and-so, I, I can't see these documents you keep handing me. I know you don't mean to, but could you send them to me electronically? That's huge. And or if somebody comes to me and said, hey, I'm going to be working with you. Can you know, what's the best way for me to pass information to you? Is it via email? Is it via text? That in itself is just like, oh my gosh, somebody thought about me. It's a miracle. And so to to allow for that space and time, it's incredible as a person with a disability. So presume competence and always allow for that opportunity to build trust. Now I will say this is a hard one for loved ones because <laughs> as my husband will attest, it is very hard to presume competence with me if he assumes I can't see something and I get mad at him for holding my arm or stopping me or whatever. <laughs> but if I fall on my face, he's I'm going to be mad at him. So <laughs> there's a level of communication that you have to establish, especially with loved ones. But um, to be overbearing either way is too much. You've got to find that balance. And I know that's hard. It's not, it's not something that's, that's easy for folks. And so I, I do understand that. And for loved ones, start opening those dialogues. And, and for even close friends, open those dialogues. Hey, like, am I being overbearing? Or let me know what else I can do better. And so just start opening the dialogue. And that's the thing. It's when this stuff is like hidden and secretive and in the closet, we, it's awkward. Get it out there and be like, hey, if there's anything I can do better, please, please, please let me know. We're going to be around each other a lot. We're good friends. We're family, whatever. Let's figure this out together. Now, last but most definitely not least, when you are interacting with a person, 
with a disability who has a caregiver or an assistant or an interpreter or a parent or a any kind of guardian or helper as you might see them or assist yeah, any kind of uh, accommodation that's a human next to them talk to the person not the caregiver not the assistant not the parent now Sometimes I've found this challenging because of the parents. <laughs> if you think about it as far as some disabilities, the parents have been advocating for their children for their whole lives. And so it's very hard for them to let go of that control. But at a certain age, which is, you know, any age in my opinion, the person needs to start advocating for themselves to the best of their ability and people around them need to speak to the person now this gets <laughs> i think i see it the most with interpreters for the deaf and hard of hearing uh, who use american sign language interpreters often the able-bodied person wants to talk to the interpreter because they're going to interpret to the person makes sense logically but you as a person, especially with, with that situation, look at the person that you're talking to. The interpreter will do their job. And you're not being offensive to the interpreter. They expect you to talk to the human, not to the interpreter. <laughs> not the human. They're both human. But, you know, to the individual who's deaf or hard of hearing, not to the interpreter. And so it's hard in the sense of, it's dis not distracting, it's... um fascinating for me to watch people um, doing American Sign Language and keep your mind keep your mind right focus on the individual you're talking to and they will navigate between the between the um, interpreter and you making that eye contact making sure often they're also reading lips at the same time so look at the person if it's a person with developmental disabilities again give them the opportunity don't only talk to the person they're with. Don't first talk to the person they're with. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Emily. What's your name? And looking at the individual. Now, if that individual takes a little bit of time, that's okay. Give them time. If they look up at their parent or their guardian or, or aid or whatever it is, that's fine too if, the, if they give that opportunity to talk to the other person. But still try and learn from that individual. That individual, even if they're not communicating the way you want to, they will teach you stuff. They will teach you probably more than you would ever imagine if you give them the opportunity and you give them the chance and you give them the respect of talking to them and not their caregiver, their aide, their, their assistant. Now, I have a very amazing, talented, good friend I'm gonna say friend maybe he won't agree but I think he will and he knows that he's hard to understand um, and he always has his aid with him and he's ten times smarter than me ten times more driven than me ten times more talented than me and if I didn't give him the opportunity to speak for himself, I would never know that. And is it hard to understand him? Yes. But guess what? Again, he has lived in that body all of his life. He knows it's hard to understand him. And if you slow down your brain enough 
and listen to the words he's saying. You'll, you'll get it. And if you can't, his aide will step in. Like if you say what? What was that? You know, if you say it once or twice, she will step in and say it for him. And that's fine. That's how they operate. But the fact that you're talking to him and not to her, that's how it should be. And it might be difficult for you. But guess what? It's difficult for people with disabilities to live in a world with all these able-bodied folks who don't understand. And so be on the other side of the fence for a minute because we adapt and we, you know, try to be as able-bodied as we possibly can so that you're not so uncomfortable. So just change shoes for a minute and be uncomfortable and do your best and ask respectful questions. So always talk to that human. We are all humans and we have the same human needs to interact and connect and belong and achieve and succeed. But often people with disabilities are not given the chance to do all those things. So I challenge all of you out there to don't ignore the awkwardness. Don't run away from the uncomfortableness of it at times interact with it do your best to be respectful do your best to reach out and understand the coworker that sat next to you for 10 years and you've never really had a really deep conversation other than about the weather learn about them learn about their experience learn about their life learn about their kids just like any other coworker at the end of the day we all want to belong in this world and you as an able-bodied person have the opportunity and I, as a person with a disability, have the opportunity to make somebody's day, somebody's week, somebody's life so much better by just slowing down.